0: For half a century, Rothko Chapel has been the stillest place in Houston. We are a city where too much is never enough, where the hustle never stops. But Rothko Chapel is minimal and meditative. This week, the chapel finishes its year-long celebration of its 50th birthday with new music by composer Taishan Sori. Today, I am talking about all of that with CityCast culture correspondent Chris Gray and Sarah Rothenberg, director of Docamera Houston, which co-commissioned the Tyshawn Sorry piece. It's Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Chris, could you start by giving us a sort of Rothko Chapel 101? What is going on in this place?
1: At the Rothko is probably one of the relatively few places in Houston that is legitimately world famous, especially within the art world. But it's very unique in that it's an international destination, but it's also a local hangout. It's just somewhere you can kind of go. And if you're in the neighborhood and stop by and sit on one of the benches for a little while and just kind of get away from the crush of the rest of the city outside.
0: How did Mark Rothko, the famous abstract expressionist painter, get involved with a chapel?
1: It was dreamed up by the Meniles, John and Dominique Manil, prominent philanthropists and world-class art collectors.
0: I think of them as like the patron saints of Houston's art world.
1: Just imagine how different yeah. Houston would be if, if they had never come along. So I think this was around the mid-60s, maybe. They were in New York at a Four Seasons hotel, I believe, and they had noticed some paintings that Rothko had done. Rothko was one of the most prominent artists of his era. He emerged in the late 40s, born in Latvia. He was known for abstract paintings that were very striking in their use of color
0: I think of some of those as looking almost like a painting of an emotion, like there's some that are very spring-like and happy.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And others are very dark and, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he made the Menil's acquaintance and, you know, they asked him to come up with some paintings for this building in Houston that they wanted. I believe the way the story goes, they had an agreement with University of St. Thomas to do... A chapel there. But that fell through, but they still wanted to do this spot for his works, And so they just built it nearby, across uh, yeah. Alabama there.
0: And it's this super minimalist building with mm-hmm. beautiful light. It was designed by Philip Johnson, although he took his name off it.
1: Mm-hmm. And a couple of other guys that came along and, and finished it.
0: Yeah, it was a couple of Houston architects, Howard Barnstone and Eugene Aubrey. They made this really quiet, minimal, skylit jewel box of a building to showcase these paintings, these big black, minimal paintings. I once took a friend to Rothko Chapel, and when we walked in, I realized that I hadn't prepped him enough. He looked around and he said, really loudly, So, where are these paintings you've been telling me about? <laughs>
1: That is a common uh, complaint, apparently, according to the uh, Rothko lore. There are 14 paintings in all.
0: And they're all black. Mm
1: -hmm. Sort of.
0: They look like the inside of your eyelids.
1: (laughs) They're sort of black. I mean, they're not 100% black. And that's the thing. One of the things about the Rothko is the longer you spend there, the more these paintings sort of seep into your consciousness and you start noticing how... The textures can vary from one end of the painting and from one painting to the next. And very, very subtle shadings of black and purple and some folks see green, I think, too. It's supposed to be a very spiritual place, a very meditative place to just kind of sit and think about things or just sit and not think at all and just just be...
0: to clear your head. Mm -hmm. Sarah, could you tell us about the Rothko's opening 50 years ago?
2: So the chapel was dedicated in, in 1971. And by then, Mark Rothko was no longer alive. He had taken his life, but he had been suffering from lots of illnesses and wasn't well enough to paint. And there was a lot going on at that time. And he had actually finished the paintings for the chapel several years before his death. Um, So at the dedication of the chapel, Mark Rothko's good friend, the avant-garde composer Morton Feldman, came down for the chapel dedication. And John and Dominique de Menil, ever the visionaries, had at that event the idea of asking Morton Feldman to create a piece for the chapel in memory of his friend, Mark Rothko. Morton Feldman, whose music is tremendously influenced by the abstract expressionist painters, he was deeply involved with this whole movement. And he ultimately wrote a piece which has become a really iconic work of the late 20th century. And the piece is called Rothko Chapel. What
0: does that sound like?
2: Like the chapel itself, which I think of as a kind of temple to abstract art. The piece itself is completely abstract. And I think that's most pronounced. I mean, people will say, well, all music without, without words is abstract. Well, that's part of it because the piece is for chorus and percussion, celeste and viola. But even the chorus is completely abstract. They don't sing words.
1: I like to think of that piece as sort of the aural equivalent of the paintings in the chapel. It's very still and you just kind of let it wash over you.
0: There's not a melody there's not a melody that I'll walk out humming.
2: Well there are there is a yeah. melody that comes especially at, at the very end because the piece is filled with memory for Morton Feldman. And he draws on a kind of almost Hebraic melody. At the end of the piece, there's a very simple melody that emerges. But like the paintings, and as you were saying, Lisa, you know the paintings. I think are so much about emotion. Um, so the the piece really is about something that you can't there isn't an equivalent in words. It's much more the way the sounds float after the note is struck. The same way in Rothko's paintings, it's the way the paint seems to almost float on the canvas. And so, so Morton Feldman had a very kind of radical view of these things. You don't hear a constant beat going in this piece at all, but it's more that you're immersed in the sounds and it suspends one's sense of time in terms of our daily sense of time.
0: So that's part of what makes the chapel feel the way that it feels?
2: The the paintings themselves and this idea of one being completely surrounded by them um, is a very immersive experience. And Rothko said something really great. It was as he started making his painters lar- larger and larger he said he was actually searching for intimacy. And that might seem counterintuitive because you think he's making these you know, big statements. But what he said was, when you're looking at a small picture, no matter what the picture is, you're always outside of it. But when you make a large canvas, you're actually immersed in it. And this becomes taken even further in Rothko Chapel, where one is literally surrounded by paintings so that you almost have the strange feeling that you have eyes in the back of your head, because as you're looking at the painting in front of you, you still feel the presence of the paintings behind you. And, you know, Chris was talking about people's different reactions to being in the chapel. And I think no matter what one's reaction is, you you have to respond to the idea that there is an aura in that place, that there is a sense of presence that is extremely unusual I would say and and for me it's spiritual and spirituality is a very abstract idea no matter what we may in different religions attach to that idea in and of itself it's kind of beyond image and I think you get that sense very much in the chapel.
1: Some folks have described it as
2: very womb-like even.
0: It is such an otherworldly experience.
2: So uh The Rothko Chapel piece by Morton Feldman was premiered a year after the chapel was dedicated, so in 1972. So that is now exactly 50 years ago. And as the 50th anniversary of the chapel was approaching, Rothko Chapel and da started conversations about a commission. Um, We had always informally discussed the idea that when the 50th anniversary came, there would be a commission that de Camaro would be um, working on.
0: So that brings us to this new piece of music by Tyshawn Sori. It's related to another piece of music called Rothko Chapel.
2: When we sat down to finally talk about the commission, I had one name and one name only. I knew that we should commission Tyshawn Sori for this work for a number of reasons. And why? Tyshon sorry, he's, he's a brilliant composer who is now, I mean, since we commissioned him, because this really goes back years, he had already achieved a certain amount of acclaim and had become a MacArthur Fellow. Um, but since then, he's been profiled everywhere, and he was featured in the New York Times Magazine section. He's been featured composer all over the world. Tyshon sorry, comes out of a background where he was a jazz musician, and he continues to play Jazz, and he has a doctorate from Columbia University. He is very astute about the complexity of his background, the fact that so many black American composers get classified as jazz musicians just because they're black. Um, So, this divide, this racial divide in our country that shows up in musical genres as well. Um, And so He's spoken about all of these things. He's done some incredibly powerful reworkings of Negro spirituals. And we first worked directly with Tyshawn when we opened our season in 2016 with a piece that he created for the soprano Julia Bullock with her, actually. Based on the life and work of Josephine Baker. And Josephine Baker, who was known as a French chanson cabaret entertainer. And this was really the darker, serious side of Josephine Baker's life and work. And so a kind of deconstruction. As a black woman. Yes. La couleur.
0: So you immediately thought of Tyshawn?
2: We commissioned Tyshawn for this piece because Tyshawn's music and his approach is very much influenced by Morton Feldman. And he's a percussionist and keyboardist himself, and yet he has an incredibly gentle approach to sound. Um, And so I thought it was important to have a composer who both represented Rothko's chapel's aesthetic, but also its commitment to human rights. And um, so we we approached Taishan about writing a piece for the chapel's 50th anniversary. And he was absolutely thrilled. I mean, he said, this is a no-brainer. I have to do this. <laughs> and I didn't go to him with any preconceptions about what he would do. It was an absolutely open slate except for it had to fit in the chapel and the chapel is limited in size you know so it couldn't be for an enormous orchestra and i was rather surprised but he decided fairly quickly he wanted to compose a piece for very much the same forces as what morton feldman had composed and oh. he wanted it to be a kind of legacy the idea that this ensemble that Morton Feldman put together, which is unique, I don't know of another piece exactly for that ensemble, that there was a kind of legacy that he was inheriting and responding to. So
0: for the chorus and the celeste and...
2: Yes, it's the same, only difference is yeah. he did add piano, which I'm happy about. Okay. So I Since play you're a pianist. piano and celeste, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. sometimes at the same time. Uh And the viola has an extremely important role as kind of the protagonist, I would say, if there is one. The percussion and I work very much hand in hand and choir and bass soloist and also no words, no text at all.
0: So the piece that he wrote, it's a meditation on the Rothko Chapel itself itself. And also on that piece of music written about the Rothko Chapel.
2: Yes. And the piece is called Monochromatic Light, parentheses, Afterlife. I think he's ended up creating something that's both intimate, which is what you're describing, and also vast, you know, larger, larger than us.
0: Thank you both. This has been really great. I appreciate it. All right. It is time for some news. I am here with producer Dina Kesba.
3: Dina, what is going on today? Oh, I'm so excited to share this story. Yeah. So you know how we just had Valentine's Day on Monday? Yeah. Well, we have to talk about Houston's favorite power couple getting engaged. Oh, who? who? Simone Biles. Simone Biles the world's most decorated gymnast, and Texan's defense back, Jonathan Owens. Yay! Oh, cool. They're engaged. They're so cute together. She comes up to his armpit. (laughs) I know. She's so short and tiny compared to him. Okay, so so details. How'd it go down? What happened? Apparently, they met on a dating app back in March 2020. Like Bumble? Tinder? No. So there's this special dating app called Raya, that's literally just for celebrities. It's crazy, I've never heard of this before. Okay, well I guess we're not invited. Okay, go yeah, on. it's like this weird thing where you have to be a member to be part of it. I'm assuming there's like a lot of protocols that go through to actually verify all the celebrities, but it's so adorable that they met through a dating app. Modern love for y'all, y'all. That's modern love. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: is it for today here on CityCast Houston. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a lot of stars wherever you're listening to podcasts. We will be back tomorrow morning with more stuff from around the city. Bye. It's It's also known as the Illuminati Tinder.
2: What the? According
0: to Men's Health Magazine. (laughs)